In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This is our text. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus, amen. So, as mentioned, it's Trinity Sunday, an opportunity that the church takes to... I kind of like the imagery, but humor me for a minute that on Trinity Sunday of all days, not that we don't reference or talk about and uh, so forth, but to take the mystery that is the Trinity and take it off our mystery shelves and examine it for a bit. Turn it over and, and look at it and, and hold it up to the light and, and look at it from different angles and perspectives and somehow try to appreciate the complexity and the sophistication that is there, recognizing that our ability to understand how God can be three persons in one God, one God, three persons, and so forth, is ultimately beyond us. And then when we've had that opportunity to, to wrestle and to discover anew the Trinity, then eventually we put it back on our, on our mystery shelves. And then we can know that we can continue to believe it, to trust in it, to have it be part of who we are in spite of our lack of comprehension. That's kind of what we get the opportunity to do on a day like today. To be clear, the word Trinity or words like Trinitarian or triune are nowhere to be found in scripture. That is true. However, the Trinity is found everywhere in scripture. Part of that is through the readings that we just had. I'm going to read the first three verses of Genesis chapter one again by the way, that presentation of a video to try to get our minds engaged as well with the visuals, can't even imagine, can you? Creation of all things? Oh my goodness. And yet, that's exactly what God did. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, I would propose to you that in just the very first three verses of Scripture, we are already presented the Trinity. God. I think in this case, we would do well to ascribe that this, in fact, was God the Father. That's what we say in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But then you notice that there was a reference to the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. So we have first person of the Trinity with the Spirit. We have the third person 
What about the second person? Well, lest there be any doubt, if you want to turn to John chapter 1, verse 1, in whether it's the, the Bibles there in front of you or however you would access the scriptures, we find this, that John's first three words of his gospel are not coincidentally the first three words of the Bible itself. In the beginning. That's how he begins his gospel. I wonder if he's trying to get attention and reference something. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. And not anything that was made... I think I'm now losing my memory of those exact verses, so pardon me. But you see, John personifies the word. But it's not his invention. He is just describing the facts. Unless we miss who the word is, in the ESV, by the way, the word, that word is capitalized, and I think that's an absolutely appropriate indicator. But you skip down to John 1, verse 14. By the way, we often hear these words on Christmas Day. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. First three verses in the Bible. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. How complex is that? How sophisticated is that? One of the church fathers, as we call them, and we'll reference them uh, certainly at times, but the one I'm going to quote is the man called St. Augustine. He lived down in Florida where that uh, town is. No, he didn't, okay. He lived in North Africa and he was an early bishop of the church and so forth. But when talking about the Trinity, he said this, when you see the Trinity, you see love. Isn't that a great way to simplify things? For after all, God is love. And we see the workings of the Trinity throughout scriptures. Yes, the relationship between the three persons and the love that proceeds and involves them but even more impactful for us is the love that comes from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to each of our hearts. To see the Trinity is to see love. There are people that want to learn more about God through nature. And what an 
amazing way to do so. Just the images on the video were part of that, seeing the creatures that God made. And we may go to incredible places in the world to see mountains or oceans, to see all those things to say we're worshiping God in nature and we can see what God is like somewhat from what we observe. It's awesome. But the same Augustine made this observation as well. Again, talking about people who want to see and know God. He says this, people go to gaze at mountain peaks and gape at the boundary, boundless tides of the sea. They go to admire the broad sweep of rivers, the encircling oceans, and the motions of the star in the heavens. And yet, they leave themselves unnoticed. They do not marvel at themselves. Now, he's not referring to looking at how great we look or how wonderful I am. And he's not talking about navel gazing as it's referred to. He's saying if you want to see God's creation and his handiwork, yes, all of these things are wonderful. But don't forget about looking at yourself. Did you notice the very last thing that God created? Human beings. And did you notice as you read chapter 2 then, we get more specifics about the creation of humanity. That God was, rather than any of the other creatures, God was personally involved getting down on his hands and knees, forming the man and yes, the woman of the clay, of the dust of the ground. Individually, he only made one of each. The animals, the birds, the, the fish, the everything, teams of them. But humanity, handcrafted. And in fact, God breathed into each of them to give them life. Take a look at the human and marvel at God. How our brains send nerve impulses to our, our hands and feet and body to do whatever we command it to do. Our internal systems are on autopilot and, and just the complexity. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. To God be the glory. But by extension, I would like to take Augustine's observation one step further. Over the last several weeks, we have been focusing on one of our value statements as a congregation. Namely, the value statement that says this. My family grows closer. My family grows closer to Jesus here. In other words, what the ministry of St. Lawrence is, is to reflect that. That we are a place, 
a congregation where my whole family grows closer to Jesus here. That's our ideal, a reflection of who we are and a goal for what we want to be and improve on even doing that. Our church, our school, and all of the various ministries that we have. That a family can come and to be drawn closer to Jesus. So I would say to gaze at the Trinity, to learn more about God, we can also gaze at the family. Because again, the family is not our idea, but God's. Whatever your family is or looks like, and by the way, the image of the family, the, the, um, the makeup of the family has, of course, varied. A lot of times there's a, a father and a mother, a husband and wife, children. There probably are aunts and uncles, perhaps, grandparents and so forth. But obviously not every family looks like that. There are blended families. There are single parent families. There are families that don't look anything like what one might envision at some points. There are broken families. And there are families who experience hardship. In fact, isn't it a mystery how on the one hand that which God gives us to be a credible blessing through the relationships of our family and where we find some of the greatest blessings, some of the greatest joys in life are through and with our family. Yet at the very same time, is it not also the case where it's through our family relationships where we experience the greatest hurts and griefs and brokenness. How, how can that be? Well, I guess we ultimately know because none of us was born into a family or is in a family where the other people are perfect like we are. And that's the problem, isn't it? I don't know if you hear about the young man who wanted to uh, get a job at the carnival. Okay, you know what a carnival is? I don't know, boys and girls, we'll, we'll see. But anyway, part of that carnival act was having a magician who would do a magic show and, and perform illusions and magic tricks and so forth. So this young man wanted to do that, and he was sitting down with the, the manager of the whole carnival, and he was asking him some questions and so forth. But because he was relatively young man, the manager, of course, was, you know, a little bit cautious about the talents and whether he could really pull off a quality show. So he said, so tell me, what's your, you know, what's your best trick or, you know, what is your go-to that, you know, you really feel confident in? And so the young man said, oh, he said, that one, he said, I think one of my best is, of course, when I get a volunteer to come and be put into a box 
And then I take a saw and I saw through that box and cut the person in half. That is an impressive trick. Certainly thought the manager and he said, wow, how is it that someone of your age and so forth has been able to do this and to be so accomplished at it? He said, well, I was blessed. Um, he said, when I was growing up as a kid and I always wanted to be a magi magician, that I would just ask my sisters to help and to volunteer. And so I would practice on them. And so the manager said, oh, so it, it sounds like you must have a pretty big family. And the young man said, yes, I have eight half-sisters. <laughs> oh, you didn't need to. Don't encourage you. <laughs> but I think in a way, doesn't that represent some of the relationships that we do have? There was uh, an older gentleman and his wife who went to the doctor. He um, had some hearing issues, and so it was always good for him to have his wife along and always good to have another set of ears and so forth listening. And so after his checkup, the, uh, the doctor said, primarily to the wife, but for both, and he said, um, he said, ma'am, he said, um, your husband is extremely sick. He is in very critical shape. And he has a very uh, nasty infection. And at this point, the, the man said, so what did he say? And she said, I'm, you're very sick. But then the doctor continued and he said, but I, I do have hope. He said, I think he can make a good recovery. But the key is so that he doesn't have to experience, he can't have a lot of stress because that takes the body's uh, situation of fighting the infection and it can make it worse. But so you need to make sure that his life is as stress-free as possible. So every morning when he gets up, you should make him a big healthy breakfast. You should, um, you know, not expect things in the way of responsibilities or chores around the house. He said, I don't know if this is you or not, but you can't, you really can't yell at him or argue with him because that increases stress level. Uh, you need to give him a good balanced meal for lunch and dinner and, you know, just do all that you can to make his life stress-free, just cater to his every whim. But he said, I know that if you can do that for at least six months, for a year, I am confident he is going to make a good recovery. Well, after this whole amount, the man says to his wife, what did he say? And she turned to him and said, you're going to die. <laughs> Again, why is it funny? Because it's true. <laughs> How we interact with even those who are closest to us is not always the way that is God-pleasing. That which God intends to bring mutual companionship and fellowship and support and care in sickness and in health often becomes the source of bitterness and envy and jealousy 
and strife. That which God promises as a great blessing from the Lord that those who are indeed able to have children, that they are a heritage from the Lord. And yet, how often is it that as parents, we don't always speak to them in that way? We don't always have the patience or the kind fatherly or motherly guidance and direction that we know the Lord would have us have. And, and for kids, that which, believe it or not, the Lord gives to us that we should honor, respect, and obey, love, and cherish our parents because they are blessings from the Lord. Yet how often is it where, well, we tend to treat them perhaps with not much respect at all, where we don't listen, and not only do we not obey, we intentionally don't obey. We push the buttons. We know just how to get our mom or dad angry. Why is this? Again, because in Genesis chapter 3, just a chapter after God establishes paradise, and the perfect relationship with Adam and Eve, that relationship is broken. Because of sin, the perfect communication turns into passing the blame. It's her fault. And so on. That which God intended to be a place of grace and love and acceptance has often become broken. And painful. In fact, to the point of family members that don't even speak to each other. My friends, that's not a picture of the Trinity, of the relationship that God intends for his people. It is not love. But thanks be to God, even when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, there will come a Savior. And that Savior has come. That Savior is the Word of God made flesh, who when he suffered and died, he took the sins of every person and every family upon himself and did away with them. There is no record of the wrongs that we want to hold on to so long. And it's only by the power of God through the Holy Spirit working forgiveness in us that we in turn are able to ask forgiveness as well as grant forgiveness to those that we thought were impossible to forgive, or to confess to. But you see, God is still in the business of, if we want to refer to it this way, working miracles. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is so far beyond us, we can only fall down before him. Yet he chooses to be intimately involved in our lives 
and in the lives of our families. And although we may not understand those dynamics of our families that make us on the one hand just so much grace and blessing and at the same time so much hurt, yet even as we take the mystery of the Trinity, which we cannot understand, but we choose to hold to it, believe to, in it, and trust in it because God has said so, so we take the blessing of the family and believe in it and trust in it and have it be part of who we are because God intends it to be for our benefit. In fact, to use Augustine's word, to look at the Trinity is to see love. To look at the family is to see love. Love in Christ and love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.